0: to the extended cut, we are working our way through Genesis as we are finishing up the Joseph series And today, the one and the only from Irmo,
1: Ross Kellis It's great to be here, six feet apart from you, Russell
0: Six feet apart, you're a long way over there, but hey, it's the way it works
1: It's the way it works, here we are together at least, you know
0: Yeah, it's, it's nice And Prince. then the, uh, the man from White Knoll, Derek Liferidge, welcome
2: Good morning, good morning, glad to be here
0: Yeah, so before we jump into Genesis, we're trying to wrap up Joseph. Last week, Ryan and Trey joined me uh, to kind of wrap up these last few sermons that we didn't get to preach because we we said, hey, um, we can't gather any longer. It's a group of more than 10 or 50 or whatever the number was when we shut down for COVID. That seems like a, a long time ago. And so... John had preached on Psalm 23, which means we were trying to figure out what happened to Joseph. Mm -hmm. Mm. Before we get into Joseph, um, a a couple of words to you guys. Ross, Derek, and if Ryan and Trey were sitting here, fantastic job Sunday. That was...
1: Oh, thank you. ...to
0: watch. Uh, My kids, when we pressed, you know, pause at the end (laughs) and started doing the discussions, it was just cool to... Like, one of, my, one of my kids, he says, I, did, I didn't even know what they look like, you know? And so, you know, he, mm, he hears wow. me say Ross Kellis, and I'm sure our people might hear us say Ross Kellis, but for them to see Ross Kellis, right. perfect. Or when they right. say, you know, hey, we're going to White Knoll, and I tell them, Derek's a pastor here. I' are like, hey, that's Derek. So, right. anyway, that was cool. And then awesome. my daughter, Ross, loved the donkey thing, man. Oh, she and did. She was like, dude, I never thought about the donkey and my stuff, and God wants my stuff. And so mm. and she's in fifth grade. So, man, you're communicating to a fifth grader, then mm. I think you got the rest of them clear.
1: Oh, so. man, that's great. <laughs> Praise God. Thank you.
0: Yeah, man. So, awesome. good stuff. Um, I couldn't have been more proud to be a part of the team, especially as I watched that. So, anyway.
2: And we love nice
0: the stuff. Yamboree.
2: <laughs> hey, man, maybe one
0: day, road trip.
1: Third weekend in October, <laughs> we can participate. Even. We
0: can go. I, I'd love for you to That'd see it. And I, I had four or five cousins, yam queens. Wow, wow!
1: They
0: did. You didn't know you were sitting with no somebody who
1: was attached to royalty. No, I did not. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Well, we've got the Peach Festival, but we don't have anything like a Yam Festival. Yeah.
0: Well, there's the Okra Strut
1: and the mm-hmm. Okra. That's true. Yeah, okra well, there Strut. There is.
0: Every small town's got to have that,
1: right? Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. I think that's that's what makes Americana.
2: Does that mean you eat sweet potato pie?
0: Yeah, I think there is actually a difference between a yam and a sweet potato.
2: Oh, okay. But
0: I do love sweet potato pie okay. or yam pie or candied yams. Mm. Oh, yeah. My wife does Pancake. uh, yam pancakes. Oh, gosh. Dude.
1: Wow. Yam pancakes. Boom. Or yam, bam, yam. (laughs) (laughs) Bam.
0: Dude, that might be my new go-to. That's good, Ross. That's good. Well, people are tuning in not to hear about the yamboree. They're here to hear about something. Joseph, let's do this. Let's do this. Joseph 45. So I'm going to give everybody a a wrap-up where we are. So Joseph revealed himself. That's what we learned last week with Ryan and Trey. He's crying. He's saying, I'm your brother, Uh, He sees that they have repented, that, that they didn't treat Benjamin the way they treated Joseph. He gave them an opportunity to treat Benjamin the way they treated him, and they didn't. And then you got Judah who rises to the occasion, and he's even putting himself up as this substitute. It's an amazing story. And so Joseph then says, get my dad here. I wanna see my dad. I wanna see Jacob. And so as a result, They bring Jacob down. That's the tail end of 45 and 46. And then the famine gets so bad that Pharaoh's got to start taking the land from people so that they can get grain. So now Pharaoh's going to own all the land. And then Jacob on his deathbed, once he gets to Egypt, is going to bless the sons. He's going to give this blessing. He's going to even bless Ephraim and Manasseh. And then finally Jacob dies. And when he dies, the brothers are distraught because they think, oh, Joseph has just been acting like he forgives us. He acts like he cares. Mm -hmm. But the reality is now that dad's gone, Joseph's going to either kill us or throw us in prison. Mm -hmm. And we have those famous words in Genesis chapter 50, probably some of the most well-known words in Genesis and for sure this story, which Mm -hmm. is when he says... um, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me, but God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. And um, so he's reiterating his love for them. Genesis closes. The book of Exodus begins and it shows up some uh, 450 years later where these descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are now enslaved in Egypt. So... That's the the recap. There was pl- there are plenty of sermons to preach there, mm-hmm. right? And so this is our last shot at Joseph. So I'm giving you a chance here. It what what was something you were looking forward to preaching? What was the thing, man? I really wanted to preach this from these last five chapters. Derek, what'd you have?
2: Well, uh, for me, it was repentance. Uh, we see that the brothers uh, have gone through a process of, of repentance, obviously, that they are not the men uh, that they were. Uh, it's not the same group of guys as they're tested by Joseph. We see that they're not the same group of guys who sold him into slavery. And um, so just the idea of repentance was a big one for me and one that I've thought a lot about and prayed a lot about. And So we have here a repentance in the English is the action of turning um, due to sincere remorse, regret, or guilt. And uh, I can certainly identify with that. Uh, I grew up in a church where uh, people, a lot of people were guilted uh, into living for God, guilted into doing the right thing, and guilted into living for God as they should. Um, uh, the only problem with that is that the Greek definition for repentance, uh, Greek word metanoia, uh, has nothing to do with guilt. Uh, it's the turning, still the turning to God, uh, but it's more according to, to faith and love that you, this idea that we would turn to God, not out of guilt, um, but out of out, that we believe him. And, and love him um i would say a relationship based on guilt is is not a relationship at all i can only imagine if i uh, married my wife because i out of out of guilt uh it just doesn't make sense and um and so it doesn't make sense in our relationship with god um makes me think of romans eight and one Uh, which says there is now, therefore, no condemnation, no guilt to those that are in Christ Jesus. Um, I found that in Judaism, uh, of course, they don't believe in the the work of Christ on the cross. In Judaism, they believe that there is a process to repentance, uh, which they call teshuva. And in that process, uh, guilt is an integral part of that process. That there cannot be true repentance, there cannot be true change uh, without without guilt, and that is just not what the Bible. Uh, I believe it's not what the Bible teaches us. I believe that Jesus took guilt to the cross, and that to operate out of guilt is not to trust the work of Christ on the cross. Uh, Hebrews ten and twenty two says, "Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting Him." For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, uh, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. And so, Christ on the cross, um, that He has cleaned us by His blood, He's washed away our guilt. Um, and so, as as believers, we shouldn't operate out of guilt in in our walk mm-hmm. uh, with God. Um, I saw a. This thing where the Economic and Social Research Council, um, probably never heard of them, but the Economic and Social Research Council, some years back, they were going to come out with a series of ads uh, urging people, uh, commercials rather, uh, urging people to be environmentally responsible. And so before they you know spent the money to come out with this series of commercials urging people to be environmentally responsible, uh, they did research on what would be you know the appeal of the ad: uh, how would we get people to be environmentally responsible? Um, and so one of the questions was, should we guilt them into doing it? And so before doing that, they did research on guilt, and they found out that through their research and through surveys and such that Guilt attacks self identity, uh, and that ultimately, if I feel bad about myself, that you're going to live up to how you feel about yourself. And so, if ultimately, that if you guilt someone into doing something, that uh, that guilt cannot produce lasting transformation, only temporary change. Because again, it attacks my self identity, and if I feel bad about myself, I'm going to live up to how I feel about myself. And so. Through their research, the Economic and Social Research Council decided not to do um, an ad based on guilt, guilting people into being environmentally responsible, because they said if, uh, through their research that that doesn't produce lasting transformation, only temporary change. Um, hmm. And so, uh, of course, the devil uh, doesn't want lasting transformation with us. He only wants... Uh, he he only, temporary change is just fine with him. And so he is just fine with us living a life, uh, a fear-based, I'm sorry, guilt-based walk with God where we, we change and we continue to walk with God based out of guilt because he knows that that only produces temporary change, uh, not lasting transformation. And so that was just on my heart, um, Wanted people to know that uh, just because I, if a lot of you out there grew up in an environment like me, a church environment, uh, you were guilted into doing the right thing a lot of times. And uh, that is no way to walk with God.
1: Hmm. Ross, thoughts on that? Well, I definitely think that's a good conclusion. Like, you know, the guilt is you know, operating um, out of guilt. Is sort of like your constant theme or something like in you're walking with God and like people using <laughs> guilt as a way to motivate people. Or, well, people using guilt is the only way to motivate people. Right. Um, in this text, what verse is it where he says God has found out the guilt of your servants? Hmm.
0: Um, so <sighs> yeah, a, a couple of places in in 42 when they first get to First, to get to to Egypt for the first time when it says, um, you know, when Joseph talks rough to him, they say in verse 21, obviously we're being punished for what we did to our brother. Um, And then we saw his deep distress when he pleaded with us, but we would not listen. That is why this trouble has come to us. Didn't I tell you not to harm the boy, but you wouldn't listen. Now we must account for his blood. Uh, so, a, so a guilty conscience there, and then you also have, um, um, they come home and they find the money bags. It says their hearts sank trembling. They turned to one another and said, "What is this that God has done to us?" So, a couple of places where mm. you clearly have, um, you clearly have a a, a guilty piece of it, right? My, I guess my question would be: Is what when, when the Holy Spirit convicts of sin? Then there is a point of this where we recognize I am guilty of that sin. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, right. Um, and so as a result, there are there's probably a couple of phases in that when you're when you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, in order to understand how good and gracious the gift of Jesus is, at first, at some point you have to understand first how mm-hmm. bad mm-hmm. and if you will, guilty I am. Mm -hmm. of sin and what that sin has earned me. And so therefore, when God purchases me by the blood of Jesus Christ, then I think what Derek is talking about, this idea that I now have no condemnation because I have embraced this gift of God. He has justified me. He has called me his own. He has put me in right standing before God. And so therefore, I don't want to operate out of guilt. I want to operate out of love and appreciation mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. devotion for that, right? Right. Um, and then the question becomes is, as a, as a believer, I'm not perfect. Right. And so there's still conviction of sin. And there's still this point where I have to say, gosh, I'm I'm guilty of this. Right. Like I am the man, if you will, or from, you know, Jonathan to David, you're the man and I have sinned. I have. And so the, there's an interesting piece of guilt as a uh, as a lifestyle
2: mm-hmm,
0: and mm-hmm. as a as a a way that we approach God. And then there's this idea of guilt as it is conviction of sin. It's an admission and an attitude that I have wronged mm-hmm. God And so, therefore, I seek Mm -hmm. to repent, to embrace his forgiveness, Mm -hmm. and to walk with him out of love and joy and satisfaction. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, that does make sense. And for me, guilt is just a feeling, like anger Mm -hmm. or sadness or loneliness. And feelings aren't bad. God gave us feelings. Sure. God is so if... The feeling itself for bad that would be really really weird. But if the feeling is sometimes we feel guilty and we um, do bad things to ourselves, or the feeling of guilt causes us to be self-destructive or to be sh- extremely shameful. But if I would like to see the person that was saved without guilt, without feeling. Is there anybody saved that doesn't feel guilty and and guilt is something that if you don't feel it you're dysfunctional if you sin and you don't feel guilty or you run around naked outside and you don't feel shame there's mm. something wrong with you for not feeling shame there's something wrong with you for not feeling guilt mm. now it's for me to then take my finger like i 'm kind of swinging it right now and say, well, you're just a terrible person and, and really harp on them and then try to, you know, almost stamp them with guilt and shame. That's what Derek's talking about. Mm. You know, to do that, like, is wrong, but to not have guilt would make us less human. Yeah. Attitude versus identity, I guess. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's good. You know, we definitely don't want to live with the identity of guilt and shame especially as believers in Jesus Christ. Right. That's good. Awesome. Derek, what else would you add to that? Any other thoughts?
2: Um I would uh, just agree with you. Uh that it's more about nothing wrong with having uh, guilt uh, or experiencing it, but that it shouldn't be a, a central piece. Uh that it shouldn't be that our relationship with God shouldn't hinge on that. Mm. Um and again, for me, and it's not everyone's experience, but growing up, I was definitely taught that uh, your relationship with God hinged on that. And uh, it it skewed my, just the way I saw God and uh, related to God. And it wasn't until I, I learned much later that I should not operate uh, that way. Uh, again, feeling it is, is one thing, but then to operate out of that Um just like it's you know the Bible says, "Be angry and sin not you know so it's nothing wrong with anger, anger is a feeling, and god gave us gave us that feeling, yeah, but then to operate out of anger, the bible um, prohibits that, and so we should not operate out of guilt
0: yeah when i when I hear you talk about um people when they when they use our feelings, it's more about manipulation it and is. so it um so it, it's a shame that you would use something that I think God is is put in us this knowing right from wrong this conscience this this feeling that I know I'm guilty I've done something wrong and then all of a sudden m- use that to manipulate people to some sort of action or mm. work or movement um right. and I think people can use that any anything like we can you can get people mad about something And then manipulate them to do something about it. Or you can get people, you know, worked up and sad about something. And then we manipulate people to do something. Mm -hmm. And that's what all the... the the pet commercials, you know, the PETA commercials about, you know, showing that, that dog with the puppy dog eyes and Mm -hmm. that slow music in the back, they're making you feel sad. And so then there's a piece of that to say, now I want to use your sadness and ask you to give money to this organization that will rescue that poor dog. Mm -hmm. Um, and so the church is no different. We just want to be really careful that we don't use people's emotions and say, Hey, if you're feeling guilt right now, then I want you to do this, this, and this, For me, (laughs) you know, we would want to say, hey, if you're feeling guilty, then maybe you not maybe you need to do some work personally with God who can remove that feeling of guilt and has a solution for it. So what I hear you say is the manipulation piece and always just a good reminder that we as pastors, I think as parents, we can manipulate our kids with guilt and shame and all kinds of stuff. Um, So we just, we we want to make sure that feelings have their proper place Mm -hmm. and are utilized appropriately. So
1: when a, when a coin in the coffer sings a soul out of hell springs. Wow. There you go. (laughs) There's, there's a perfect example. Yeah. Uh Yeah. The Reformation example of someone trying to raise money for building St. Peter's Cathedral and using guilt as a way to get money, and he would use that little singy song when a, hmm. yeah. So yeah, it yeah, can I be could,
0: abused. We could we could come up with a hundred of them. I, I've got three or four in my mind right now. Growing up of ways preachers hmm. could manipulate the crowd. So crazy, Ross. What about you, man? As you as you got to the last five chapters, six chapters of. Genesis that we didn't get to preach? What were some things that you were really hoping? Man, I wish we could spend some time here.
1: Well, for me, one of the big themes of Scripture is God's sovereignty. And in the book of Genesis, um, we get at the end of the book a couple statements about how God's um, control or providence over all things also includes free will. Or how God's control, how can God be sovereign and in control, and also be um, sovereign over people who who have free will and This story is an example of the of sovereignty of God and the free will of man kind of coming together uh, in a few spots. one of them is when um, is in chapter forty five when he 's providing for his brothers and family yeah. um, He says to his brothers, God sent me before you to preserve you, to preserve for you a remnant on earth Mm -hmm. and to keep alive for you many survivors. So like who sent Joseph to Egypt? And we would say, well, his brothers did because they sold him into slavery. Mm -hmm. So they, their free will act was to abuse their brother and sell him into slavery. So we would say, well, well, his brother sent him, but no, Joseph says, no, you didn't send me. Well, yeah, we did. No, you didn't. God did. Mm-hmm. Well, would Joseph deny that they sold him into slavery? No, they did sell him into slavery. But here you have these two things that are almost contradictory come together mm-hmm. where we do something evil, perhaps, mm-hmm. and god is sovereign over it and god is up to his plan and his plan is sovereign over our plan and he is actually in charge when we think we are yeah. and in this case god joseph is saying ultimately god is the one that sent me to egypt not you that's one example the other one of, of where where sovereignty and free will come together is at the end of the book, which kind of sums up the whole book, um, the whole book of Genesis. And it comes in chapter 50, verse 19 and 20. Uh, but Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for, I, for am I in the place of God? Because they were afraid after Jacob died that, 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 that Joseph was going to retaliate. But he didn't retaliate. And why did he not retaliate? Well, because he saw the sovereignty of God in his life working all things for good. Mm. And in verse 20, he says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Mm. So you meant, you were meaning something. You were intending something and you did something. You did something evil to me and you were intending it to be evil. But even though you were freely acting, God was sovereign over your free will, and he was actually acting, and God meant it for good. Now, a lot of people want to stop me here and say, well, God used an evil action to bring about something good, but the Bible doesn't say God used it or allowed it. The, God, the Bible says that God meant it, and the Bible does never calls God the great allower. He's the great doer. Mm-hmm. And in this, and this is an instance in which God is at, at, at he is acting through people's free will. He's sovereign over, for, and now people hate this message because they they want to say that that free will is not in any way hindered by God's sovereignty. But I think that God is sovereign even over free will, and we see that in this in this story. Maybe that sounds for me that's really good news. Because it means that no matter what happens to me god 's working working it out for good, mm-hmm. and that no matter what the free will of man does, God is working it out for good, and he 's got a plan he 's not he hadn 't been um deceived or tricked or surprised, but he 's got a plan and, the, and and so that 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 to me would is that a sermon? Maybe I would have kept it for the podcast, Russell, but I do want to, I did want to at least say something about it.
0: Yeah. um, So when you think, when you use the word sovereign, define that, because I I think, I think most people like that's a church word Yeah. that um, I think it's actually a loaded word. And when I say loaded, I
1: just mean it, it's, it's got a lot of meaning for a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. The word sovereign, like a person can be called the sovereign, and that means they are the supreme ruler in the land and that they are in ultimate authority. So the author of a book is sovereign over his piece of literature. And everything that happens in the book— um is gets back ultimately to its author and so that's what i mean by the word sovereign
0: yeah so we would um so when you think of a sovereign uh, we have uh, governor mcmaster is the
1: sovereign of uh south carolina but he's not in control of everything that happens in south carolina Yes, so that that would be the
0: part where, when you think about determining it, like what the word means, it's actually an interesting word. If you do a, a word study on it. It, it, it's one of those words that doesn't show up in Scripture either. It's kind of like Trinity or whatever. It has to be, mm-hmm. it has to be defined. And so, if you're just using the word, like if you just if you just think about how to how to how to approach it, um, you know, when I when I hear you talk about what you just did with Genesis forty-five, Genesis fifty. I hear more providence language than I hear more yeah, sovereign language.
1: The doctrine of providence.
0: Yeah, providence, because um, I, I definitely think sovereign is, uh, God is sovereign. Then the question becomes is, how does God rule? In um, which ways does he
1: choose to rule? And to what you just said, He he controls everything. He's ultimately responsible for everything in his book.
0: Yes, and so he's ultimately responsible for everything. So he's controlling everything, and so that would be when you think about like different places in Scripture. My question would be: Is does God always do that? Because it seems like he he gives his rule over to other people at right. sometimes, where he
2: right.
0: he um, he allows other people to to rule on his behalf, if you will. And so there's some interesting ways that, that, like you're talking about, is this, how is free will and sovereignty or providence combined together? Does he always choose to uh, control everything in the book um, the way that an author would control everything?
1: Yeah, um, that's how I understand scripture, is that God is the author of a big story, and that Jesus was the the Jesus the sending of Jesus into the world to deal with sin was part of god's plan from before he created the world um which means that in some sense he or you know he ordained, and I know this is what people are thinking is what I'm saying he ordained that evil would come to pass. Yeah, so that he could send Jesus. Yeah,
0: so that, that's a that's a big statement that some people just wouldn't be comfortable with, right? That that he ordained evil um, would be yeah, that would be one
1: that I would say he ordained evil. He ordained that evil would come to pass through the free choice of individuals, and and that sounds like an oxymoron to people, but that's exactly the oxymoron in the in 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 the scriptures right here is how God can be doing something and we be doing something and yet God gets the credit for that something.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that that is clearly one interpretation. Yeah, that 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 wouldn't be the only interpretation of that passage, but that clearly is one. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that th- those are those are incredibly mysterious. I mean, at the end of the day, there is a mystery in how there's like what you're what you're saying, free will. Like it's it's not a it's not imagined free will. Mm-hmm. Like like we have this free will, and so as a result, there's this this sovereignty where God rules. Mm. And then, you know, it just, it's an interesting, I mean, we've talked about it a couple of times on the podcast and and we we can't, it's like nailing jello to the wall because there is a, there's a mystery to this that, um, that that is incredibly, incredibly difficult um, to, to look at it and and try to understand. So Derek, what are your thoughts on all that? All right. uh... So uh, before you, before you respond, before you respond. Uh, you know we're real life real faith here yeah we are real life we are real faith and i want everybody to know um what just took place we are here in the auditorium at lexington Derek's having to walk away from the microphone this is so (laughs) crazy this is so crazy We're sitting here, we're six feet apart, we're doing this, (laughs) and Derek's beating the chair. And in comes Ryan Maloney, he just walks, just- Just just walks in. Just saunters, just right through the aisle, and here we are talking about this amazing subject of God's sovereignty, and-
1: And he comes with his shirt off, walking right through the room. That is something else. And
0: Derek's just thinking, man, I am so glad I'm at White Knoll. Oh
1: my goodness. Man. Oh, man! Rocky Creek has an interesting pastor.
0: Yeah. Well, Rocky Creekers, I I, I, I just feel m- more and more sorry for you <laughs> with every passing day. Yeah. Ryan clearly needs people in his life. He he's losing his mind. He's he losing needs you, his Rocky mind. Creek. He needs you. <laughs> oh wow! All right, back back to this if we can. Derek, can you gain any composure to address this issue, or are we done?
2: <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm good here. I'm good here. Um, a couple things that came to mind. So, obviously the famous verse, uh, you meant it for evil, Je- uh, Genesis fifteen twenty. Uh, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Um, it's pretty interesting to me. The word meant is uh, the Hebrew word, Uh It's somewhat of an accounting term. Uh, it actually means to to calculate it, and so to picture that verse that you you guys calculated it for evil, but God calculated it for good, and so it comes down to the fact that um, our math doesn't add up the way God's math does. Um, I think of that the the boys, his brothers. They calculated that their actions would add up to Joseph's death. But God, looking at the very same equation, uh, calculated that their actions uh, would add up to his glory. And um, I just think that's extremely interesting. Um, You guys were talking about good and evil. And and how do you guys, uh, a question rather, uh, how do you, Reconcile with Isaiah 45 and 7 where it says Mm. I form the light and create darkness Uh, I bring prosperity and create disaster Uh, I the Lord in case there's any question who's talking I the Lord do all these things and so how do you guys reconcile with that is what I was wondering
1: I have no problem reconciling with that Russell yeah um <laughs> uh, that would be a verse for my for my uh my corner um i form <laughs> light and create darkness i make shalom probably is what that word would be and create uh calamity, which i think that word is actually the word for evil um
0: disaster or, yeah it's raw yeah.
1: disaster it's raw the, the Hebrew
0: word for evil. Yeah. So w- for me, when I look at it, I, 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 have, I, have no, I have no qualms at all. When you think about um, reading this passage, you can read this passage and say that I form light and create darkness. I make success and create disaster as in I make all success and I make all disaster. And um, typically that's what oh. when people who would interpret it the way Ross would is, is they would interpret it in, in those terms. Whereas I have, no, I have no issue at all. Clearly Genesis would say that, that God sent the famine and that mm-hmm. would be disaster. Right. Um, I have no issue with God um, inst- who, who made it clear that um, he wanted holy war mm-hmm. in, with Joshua and, right. and clearly for a reason. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there's, there's, there's no, I have no, no problems with that. The, the, the issue becomes is, um, when and why, and then all disaster, all Mm -hmm. evil, all of that. And so, um, yeah, so the, the question becomes, you know, did, did God, did God create the evil that the brothers did Mm -hmm. to Joseph? Um, and my answer would be No. And, and I think Ross's answer would be yes, somehow. Um, and for me, I, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't see that as creating, creating that. So I, I, again, it's always, you know, you, when you come to these passages, there's, there's multiple interpretations and there'd be Absolutely. multiple interpretations for Genesis 45, Genesis fifty twenty. 20, uh, you talking about that word planned, um, it's root word is actually to weave. And so um, I think it's interesting that the King James actually translated it differently in the first time it says the word planned or uh, used the word um, meant. And then it actually translates it a different way when it right. comes to God, which we see oftentimes in Scripture that a word is used one way for man and then used a different way for right. God. Right. Um, so, again, those are multiple multiple interpretations for those passages uh, to try to try to hammer out something that is incredibly difficult and i don't care who you are i don't care which theologian you are what what how, how many degrees you got behind your name all of us are going to have to appeal to mystery somewhere uh, we just as brian kirkland on our staff would say it's mm. translogical it's not my favorite word in the world but mm. this idea that it, it it transcends our logic and ability to understand it mm. um and so as a result um you know several of of us on staff would land in different spots uh, with how we would reconcile it for us. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I I would, uh, for me, it's, it's, it's not my job as, as Ross finds comfort and hope in these passages and the way that he interprets them, which make much of God, make much of Jesus, make much of scripture. uh, It's not my job to try to, to ask him to see it a different way, as long as he's finding his hope and comfort in God. And for me, I find that same hope and comfort i just come at it from a different direction mm-hmm. and so as a result yeah. um, we just appealed to mystery on two different spots so right. it's fun to debate them and talk about them but at mm-hmm. the end of the day um the only time i want to convince somebody in a debate is when we're talking about heresy or um, something that doesn't line up with with scripture mm-hmm. and so man great men on both sides of this debate
2: and oh, yeah.
0: i'm good, good to i'm good to leave it at that so Fun stuff. Uh, good, 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 good job, guys. Any final closing words that you would throw out there?
1: I think you summed it up well. Cool. Absolutely. So
0: repentance for Derek, sovereignty of God for Ross. Um, and I hate we didn't get to preach these last three or four sermons in Genesis, but uh, it is the way it is. Uh, hopefully uh, you, you would find some resources, the Chuck Swindoll, the Vody Bauckham book, the John Lennox book. There's some great ones out there to, to read and follow along uh, if you'd like some more in-depth on that. Mm-hmm. But I hope your Holy Week is going well. The devotionals are hitting your inbox. Make sure you do your before and after and bring them to the bins on either side of the wall so we can get them up. It's been fun to even see people drive by and read those things as uh, people see what we were like before Jesus and after Jesus. So I hope you'll do that. And then Good Friday, streaming live, 7 o'clock. We're excited about that. And then, of course, Easter Sunday. And remember the challenge by John. Who are the five people you'll send that link to? To hear the gospel, the life changing reality of Jesus. So Mm -hmm. awesome. We will do it again next Tuesday. Until then, y'all take it easy.